Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys. Um, Michelle Govender, or Mishy G, as I like to call her, it's like a gangster name. Um, she, it's amazing to, to see people who are connecting their, their faith to their daily life. And the whole point is that every single one of you are called somewhere. Wherever you are is where God's called you to be. And so you're as called to that place as I am to this. And so if you learn to connect your faith to what you're doing every, every day and how to bring God into that space, that's how we figure out how to be salt and light and to walk into what God has for us. And so I, I love the fact that in this church, we, do, we don't just want people to be good at church. We want you to be good at life. And your life is in your home and your life is in wherever you're working. And so we really want to facilitate that. Today, I'm uh, preaching on the third part of our series, Like Father. It's a series about the Father heart of God and the fact that we're sons and daughters. And uh, last week, I spoke about, uh, from the Prodigal God, or Prodigal Son story. Prodigal God is a book by Tim Keller, and it deals with this, but Prodigal Son story, and uh, it was really about the younger brother. And the story of the younger brother is that he was living with his father, and then he didn't want to be under dad's roof anymore, and said, Dad, please give me my inheritance now. In other words... Um, I don't really care about you. I just want your stuff. Uh, and then he goes off, and the Bible says he gets involved in what's called wild living. Yeah, some of us know. Anyone know about wild living? Just don't put your hand up too, too high. Um, uh, wild living. And, uh, and because essentially whenever we're out of relationship with the Father, we have to fill it with something. We're made for the Father. We're made for the Father. The fatherhood of God or the fatherhood of God is at the very essence of who God is. If you want to know God and you think about Him and your concept of Him isn't primarily that of a father, then you don't really know God for who He is and how He's revealed in Scripture. And Jesus came to reveal the Father. And so when this younger son walks away from his father, he fills it with wild living because anytime we aren't in relationship with the Father, we have to fill it with something. And today I'm, I'm speaking about the second half of that story, the prodigal son story. And I grew up in church where the prodigal son story was, they only ever taught us about the first brother. Anyone else grew up in church? And they only taught you about, be careful of wild living, eh? Be careful of wild living. It's like, that's what we're, like the worst thing that can happen is wild living. Don't do these things, you know? It's like they were like instilled this uh, fear. But the truth is the story isn't about one son, it's about two sons. And it's amazing that growing up in church, they only ever told me about the one brother. But the other brother, ironically, is living at home with the father, but he's not in a relationship with the father. But his situation is more precarious than the younger brother. Because the younger brother, when he took the money and went off to Joel, he knew he wasn't in a relationship with the father. But the older brother is living at home, thinks he's in a relationship with the father, but isn't. And if you know you aren't, you, if you know you don't have a relationship with God, then you know what the problem is and how to fix it. But if you think you've got a relationship with God, but you actually don't, then you don't think there's anything to fix. And so the relationship the, the, or the situation of the older brother is actually more precarious, more in danger than the younger brother. And he doesn't even realize it. So that's where we, what we're going to get into now. So Luke 15. Meanwhile, remember the younger brothers come home, the father's put the robe on him, put sandals on him, put a ring on his finger, and they're throwing, they've killed the fattened calf, which is awesome, and they're having a lack of big bra, I would have requested lamb, but anyway, it wasn't an option. Um, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. 
And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? What? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of a safe return. You can just imagine how excited the older brother was to have his brother home. I mean, he's just like, oh, so, I mean, we've, dad, I've been worried sick about him. We miss him. We love him. Not so. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never, even, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Picture of family bliss. Things are really going well here. This brother's not happy that his, his brother's home. He's angry. He's angry at his brother because he's back home and he doesn't think he's worth blessing. And he's angry at his father for accepting him back and celebrating him. You see, this older brother, he's living at home with his father, but he doesn't have a relationship with him. And so he's living, in a sense, with an orphan heart. And here's the thing is, orphan-haunted people can't celebrate other people. When they're seeing someone else doing well, they're like, hey, how come them? I'm, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I'm better behaved than they are. I'm pretty sure I've been serving God for longer. I'm how come they got to get married? I'm pretty sure they're dodgier than I am, you know? I'm pretty sure I'm living, I'm pretty sure I'm more generous with my finances. How come they got the new car? How come... Things are going well for them. How come they've got that? And so sometimes we see the blessing of God on other people's lives. And if you're provoked by it and you, and you aren't able to celebrate God's blessing for them, maybe there's a little bit of the older brother in you too. The second thing is that orphan-hearted people, older brothers, are those people who are doing all the right things, because that's what the older brother's doing. Doing all the right things but doesn't have a relationship with the father they see themselves as being in competition with other people. Hey, only, there's only so much to go around. So if you got some of it, then that means less for me. So then I've got to fight and I've got to uh, outperform you and do better than you and make the case, well, actually it should be me that's being blessed and not you. And look at the things he appeals to. He appeals to his faithfulness. All these years, all these years, look at my track record of how well I've been doing with you. And then he says, all these years, I've slaved for you. Remember the younger brother when he was on his way home, he had prepared his speech for the father and he was going to say, father, no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Make me like one of your slaves. And he gets home and the father's having none of it and he reinstitutes him as a son. And so the younger son came home to be a slave, but the older brother is one in his thinking. He never left. He never did the wild living, but he's at home living like a slave because he says, all these years I've slaved for you. See, it's possible to be a child of God. It's possible to be born again, full of the Holy Spirit in church doing all the right things and you think you have a relationship with a father but you're actually living like a slave and not a son or a daughter. What's more terrifying is you don't realize it. So you think everything, you think 
Me and God, we're tight. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. Everything's great. But in your heart of hearts, you see yourself like a slave. You live like a slave. And something happens where disappointment happens, where you see someone else blessed. And out of your heart comes this, how come them and not me? Look at how what I'm doing. I don't know how many times I've seen this play out again and again in the church. Someone gets, uh, comes to faith, they come into the church, they throw themselves into ministry, they're reading their Bible, they're praying, they're tithing, they're giving to the building fund, they're serving here, they're serving there, and either they get burnt out or they get burnt, something doesn't go their way, and they end up getting bitter with God. God, how come? Or bitter with the church, how come? Look at how I've slaved for you, God. And this younger brother just comes in, there's all blessing. This person's been saved for six months and their whole career's turned around. They got married. I've been here for years, slaving. Anyone know what I'm talking about? In other people. Yeah, I've seen that in other people. Fair enough. And all that time, you never gave me even a young goat to feast with my friends. Amazing what the father says. He says, his father said to him, look, dear son. Look, dear son. Look at the, I mean, this son has just had a rant at his father and accused him of injustice. And his response is, look, dear son. You see, we think the mercy and the lavish grace of God is only for people who have been in wild living and come home and are restored. I tell you, the mercy and grace of God is not just for those people. It's for people who are doing all the right things and are bitter at God because he's feel like he's been holding out on them. It's for people who have said unimaginable things to God. And you wonder if God can forgive you for that. Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. You see, the father appeals to relationship, but the son is appealing to look at my behavior. And the father is saying, you got to be with me. And the son is saying, I've served you. I've slaved for you. You see, it's possible to do all the right things, but to do it with the wrong perspective and the wrong motivation and completely miss the point is that we're not doing stuff for God. We're doing stuff with God. You're not serving God like, God, oh, I'm doing stuff for you. No, you're doing stuff with God. God's a participant in, in that. And the greatest blessing is you get to do it with him because he's your father. You know what this is called? It's called legalism. The way I relate to God is I do good things and I don't do bad things. And then God blesses me. But this older brother's hit a point where that system broke down because his brother did bad things except for walking home, well done, you showed up, and got blessed. And so his whole sense of reality and relationship with God is completely rocked because he thought the blessing was based on performance and the blessing is being with the Father. How many times have you found yourself thinking this kind of thought? When you've sinned or you've messed up or you've made a mistake, this is why God can't bless me. How many times? How many times have you found yourself where something wrong goes in your life and you look at yourself and say, it must be me. 
either I didn't do enough good stuff or I did some bad stuff or maybe there's stuff from my past or some way of thinking. It must be me. That's why God can't bless me because really this is about me and my performance. Just like a slave gets a performance appraisal, you give yourself one every day. And you think you're with the Father, but you're not. Last week I said sometimes the kindest thing that can happen to us in our lives is we come to the end of ourselves. And the younger brother in his sin came to the end of himself and came home. And this older brother is coming to the end of himself because his whole world is getting turned upside down. Hoping to turn some people's lives upside down today. And then the father said, look, dear son, you have always been with me. Look at our relationship. Secondly, and everything I have is yours. Everything? Son, older brother goes, you didn't even give me one little baby goat. Everything I have is yours. What, what does this mean for us? 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. Can, can, I'm going to just get a little bit charismatic this morning. Is that okay? For all of God's promises, say all, all. have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our which means, yes, ascends to God for His glory. So in the Bible, throughout the Bible, there's promises for believers. And in the Old Testament, they were for people who performed their way. Who, if you were righteous, you could get the promises. But he says, all the promises are ours in Christ Jesus. And our response is, amen. In other words, God goes, all the promises are yours. And we go, yes, amen. Oh, there you go, charismatic. Woo! And we go, yes, Amen. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Yes. This morning it was 1 verse 30, and I was very confused because I know there's no 30 verses in Ephesians chapter 1. All praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with? Who has blessed us with? Spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are with Christ. Because we live really well, read our Bibles, pray, don't sin, come to church, often tithe, then we get the blessings. Because this is what we think. When I get saved, I get some of the blessings, and as I perform better and better and better, I get the rest. Am I wrong? Yes, I am wrong. <laughs> but this is our thinking. And what it says is that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing because we're united with Christ, not because we perform, not because we live right, 2 Peter 1 verse 3, by his divine power, God has given us, we need for living a godly life. We have received of this by coming to him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and grace, uh, glory and excellence. Are you getting a picture? So when the father says, all I have is yours, you're like, everything. Yes. Yes. Well, how, well, how come then? I mean, the older brothers. Dumbfounded, like what? This whole time I've been waiting for you to give me a goat, and it's actually mine. Fair. Eating a lot of salad for no reason. It's discouraging. Why? Why is this? Why is it that, that sometimes people who are born again, who love Jesus, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, are living like slaves and not sons? Romans 4, 13 to 14, clearly 
God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law. God made Abraham a province, a promise to bless him, to give him the whole earth. And it wasn't based on his obedience to God's law. It wasn't based on being a good Christian. It wasn't based on doing the right things, not doing the bad things, but on right relationship with God, which comes by faith. It's not based on your performance. It's based on faith in Jesus Christ. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, if God's promise is only for those who get it right and crack the code of living good enough for God, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. In other words, God goes, I've made you a promise, but because you're trying to earn it, it's pointless for you. It's as if it doesn't exist. Another version It says the promises of God, when we approach it this way, by trying to perform and earn the promises of God, it says the promises of God become void, null and void in our lives. Do you understand that there's promises that exist for you? They're yours. They're fully yours. Every spiritual blessing, the promises are all yes in Jesus Christ. But sometimes we nullify them because we try and perform our way into them rather than receive them by faith. It's for you, it's as if they don't exist. And then we come to the point, God, how come my life looks like this? God, how come? And we get bitter, and we get angry, and we get disillusioned. Promises of God are ours by faith. See, I had this realization recently from this verse. Because there were certain aspects of things I know God has promised me as a person. Things I know He has a destiny for me. And I've gone saying, God, how come? Where is it? And God showed me to this, voice, to, to this verse. And I know that there have been times in my life when I found myself struggling with this thing. Or I found myself in a relational conflict here. Or if I found myself struggling with that or that sin. I thought in my head, this is why God can't bless me. I disqualified myself, and the Holy Spirit showed me, if you can disqualify yourself, it means you have to qualify yourself. But Jesus Christ qualified you, but you're not living in that reality because you're so busy trying to qualify yourself. And though I'm a son, I was living as a slave in those aspects of my life. I was trying to earn what Jesus Christ had already freely given me. By faith. Ever had a thought? This is why God can't bless me. Ever had that thought? A little bit of the older brother in all of us. Last passage, just to try and open this concept of why we live like slaves and not like sons. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was for us before we came to Christ. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. So picture this. A dad has a little son. He's, say, four or five years old. The dad passes away, and the son inherits everything his dad owns. But his dad was wise. He said, hey, I can't just give the five-year-old 50 million rand. He's going to implode. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to place some guardians over him. People that have to sign off on the decisions he's making. But when he hits 21 or 24, 25, if it was me, I'd probably say 30. Because, you know, you learn a lot in your 20s. When you hit that age, 
Then it will fully become yours. And he says, for those of us who live under the law, it's like we're that five-year-old kid who are saying, hey, I'm trying to, I've got the guardians over my life. The law is the guardian over my life, trying to live well enough for God. I've got to do what they say. I've got to obey them. They say, don't do that. I've got to do it. They say, do that. I've got to do that. But one day I'm going to be free. And then I'm going to get my full inheritance. When you come to Jesus Christ, that's the day. When you come to Jesus Christ, that's the day. But what happens is that son hit 30, but he's still going to his guardians and saying, how did, did I do well enough today to get blessed? Did I do well enough today? I messed up over there, so maybe you shouldn't give me my inheritance yet. Though he's a son, he's living like a slave, and that's why it says there, if a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves. And there are some believers who, though they are born again and though they are sons of God, they are not much better off than slaves because they treat God as their master, not their father. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Those requirements, God sent him to buy freedom for us who are slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. There's inheritance. And so many of us are living as sons and daughters. We are sons and daughters of God, but we're living like slaves. This is so much of my story. I mean, I shared how God spoke to me from Romans chapter four. This is so much of my story. I feel like I'm a recovering Pharisee. Because this whole world is based on the principle of you get what you deserve. You get what you earn. But in Jesus Christ, you get what he deserved and you get what he earned. He got what I deserved, which was death on a cross, so that I could get what he deserves, which is an inheritance as sons. So my question is for you today. Remember, anytime you're out of a relationship with a father, you have to replace it with something. Have you replaced relationship with a father by trying to live good enough for God? In what aspect of your thinking and your life, though you are a son, are you actually living like a slave? Last verse of this, the father says, we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. I'm here to tell you that it's not just people that are living, wild living lives, living lives of, of sin and unrestrained lives that are lost. It's people who think they're really good and are trying to do their best and trying to earn a relationship with God that are absolutely lost. And the scary thing is, many times we don't even know it. You are free. You are a son. You are a daughter. Every spiritual blessing is yours. And the Father to, is saying to you today, my son, my daughter, come home. Everything I have is yours. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much 
that we are not slaves. We're no longer slaves to fear. We're no longer slaves to trying really hard and trying our best and wondering if we're doing good enough, God. We're sons and daughters of the living God. And there's an inheritance in you. And I pray, God, that we just stop trying to be good enough to earn your blessing when we know we can receive it freely in Jesus. I pray for your radical freedom on your people this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.